All right, Second Chronicles chapter 15 tonight and 16. All right, tonight we're going to look at two sides of uh, King Asa. Tonight we're going to look at one side that was blessed by God and prosperous through God, and then we're going to look at the other side that ruined him and his, his, his uh, I guess you could say, non-reaction to God's way and uh, what happened to him there in uh, chapter 16. So let's start in verse 1 of chapter 15, and it says, Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Odeb. So here we have a prophet, and we know through First and Second Kings and through our minor prophets and major prophets that God used prophets to speak to his leadership and speak to his nation to get them to come either back to them or speak to them on the blessings that he wanted to bring to them. And here we're going to look at we're going to look at Azariah and in, in, in the proclamation of blessing that he wants to give to the nation of, of Judah and to Asa in his reign. And there's some conditions with it, but he's coming with, with a good word to him. And, uh, and, and usually when the, the idea of the Spirit of God coming on men was always an indication that God was going to begin a new act here. And I think through the Reformation that Asa brought, to Judah, God was moving through that nation and making change, needed change from the two kings prior to that. So this, this Asa was almost like a breath of fresh air for Judah. Whenever he came on, there was a lot of peace uh, during his time, <clears throat> not much war. And uh, so we have this prophet here going to speak into the nation of Judah, speak into Asa uh, about what God has for them. In verse 2 it says, And he went... Out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah, and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while you are with him, if you seek him. He will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will forsake you. This is a good verse to memorize. If we're constantly seeking the Lord, if we're constantly looking after his ways and, and digging into our word, he is going to be with us. And I know those times where we're not doing that, and we're not seeking his word, and we're not seeking him. We can feel the difference in, in, in our spirit and, and how it's just not connecting with God often. So this, this could be a, someone's life verse right here. And you know, and the prophet's word spoke to Asa, but it also spoke to the people of Judah and Benjamin too. This is just not a direct uh, prophecy to Asa, but this is to the nation as well. And it says, if you seek him, he will be found by you. The first thing we need to do is seek him. This is a very important principle repeated many times in the Bible. We see it through the Old Testament a lot that if the nation of Israel would seek God, God would bless the nation, would prosper the nation, would bring peace on the nation. But when they moved away from him, violence and war and all these things started. So God does not hide himself from the seeking heart. So if you want to know God, God is not going to play hide and seek with you. He's going to be out in the open if you seek him. He's ready to be found. There's a couple scriptures uh, throughout the Bible that kind of speaks to this. In Deuteronomy 4:29 says, "You will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul." Jeremiah 29:13 and this, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. 
And in Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. So the Lord is wanting us to seek him out. I think that brings joy to the Lord when he sees his children seeking him, whether in the word or in prayer or in worship. If we're seeking the Lord, I believe that brings the Lord joy. That's what he wants from us. And this word about seeking him is a guarantee that God is God, of God's faithfulness to us. God wants us to remain faithful to him, and, and he wants, to, wants us to seek him. And when we seek him, he will bring good things to us. He will bless us. G. Campbell Morgan, uh, Morgan said, He revealed an inclusive philosophy of life under the control of God. The principles is, uh, is of perpetual application. It represents God as unchanging. All apparent changes on his part are really changes in the attitude of men towards him. Man with God finds God with him. Man forsaking God finds that he is forsaken by God. God does not move. We move away from him. God is always, can always be found if we're seeking after him. He's never hiding from us. So I believe in this verse is a good verse and, and a good lesson for us to remember to seek the Lord if we want him, want to find him and want to walk in his ways. We need to seek the Lord. Verses 3 through 6, it says, For a long time Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. But when in their trouble they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found by them. And in those times there was no peace to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in. A great turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the lands. So nation was destroyed by nation, and city by city. For God troubled them with every adversity. So we see here, they're talking about how Israel had failed. They, they ran away from God. They were no longer seeking them. They didn't have even a teaching priest in those areas. Because remember, Levites were going to go out and preach among the communities. But whenever their nation divided, a lot of the priests and Levites came to Jerusalem to worship in the temple and got away from the pagan idolatry that was going to start to take place. But even in that, God still had a heart for them. It would at times rescue them from their, their downfalls. So God still had a heart, but here we see the nation of Israel falling away from God, not seeking him, and we see all the troubles that came upon them. As Ariah reminds them of what the consequences had been for Israel. So he's talking to Judah, and he's reminding them, hey, look at your brothers to the north, what's happening to them right now. They're, they're not seeking me, they're not following me, and look at the turmoil that they're going through. They neglected the true knowledge of God. They probably had copies of the Torah there, but they weren't looking into his, to God's word to find out what he wanted. They weren't seeking him in any manner, and, they, and, and Judah needed to learn from the mistakes that Israel was making. It goes on to say that during this time that they had so much violence and turmoil and war happening because they were not seeking after the Lord at all. And I think of us in America today with all the turmoil we're having, with us as, as a whole, as a nation, not seeking God, not crying out to him. 
where we're, we're chasing after sin and we're chasing after the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, and, and we're worshiping these things. We're worshiping the world instead of worshiping God. And we can see the troubles that we're having just here in our own community with the shootings lately. With the uh, two teenagers that shot the other teenager uh, from one of the schools here. But where is this coming from? Our youth is killing each other. It's because of a lack of God. It's because of a lack of, of, of wanting to seek who he is. Our own creator is, is that lack that is causing this. And it was the same lack of seeking God that was causing these issues in Israel as well. In verse 7 it says, But you be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. But he says, Now, however, you be strong. We may see this world in the, in, in the United States of America going down the drain, but we as believers need to be strong. We need to walk in his ways and not become weak and not stop the work that he has for us. He has a mission for us, and we need to continue that mission and push on with that mission. The northern tribe, they didn't do that. They faded away from God. They didn't, they didn't learn from their mistake, and they were going to pay dearly for it. Verse 8 says, And when Asa heard these words in the prophecy of Odeb the prophet, he took courage and removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim. And he restored the altar of the Lord that was before uh, the vestibule of the Lord. So remember in, in the uh, previous chapter, he was going around moving all the high places and all the worship spots that had popped up all over Judah where these people were actually worshiping idols. And that took a lot of courage for him to do that. Because in a society like we even live, where, where people are more secular than they are for God, it takes courage to stand up in our workplaces for God. It takes courage to stand up to our family members, which we'll see in a little bit that he had to stand up to some family members uh, here to get his point across because his commitment to God was that much. But it took courage for King Asa to do this. He had to combat against a lot. Some of the things he had to go against was the deep interest in favor of idolatry. A lot of the nation was in favor of this idolatry. They seen the other nations around them uh, worshiping these idols, and they said, wow, look what's, look what's going on in these nations. We want to be like them. And I think that's what's happening in America. We want to be so much like the world and the other nations that we're forgetting who set our nation up. And we're walking away from them. He also had to go against the unseen spiritual forces that favored idolatry. Satan and his, his demons, they're at work today. Whether we want to believe that or not, they are at work. In this country and other regions as well. And, and they're organized and they're working hard because they know their time is coming up. He also had to go the example of his predecessors and neighboring tribes to the north in favor of idolatry. So we have Jeroboam, who's setting up the two golden calves. Ten tribes already going to worship there. You also got the people within your own two tribes of Judah and Benjamin, who's probably wanting to worship idols as well. And he's having to fight against that. His own fleshly, in, in, uh, his own fleshly 
wants and desires too. They maybe say, well, maybe I'll just give this up and I'm just going to go worship too. It seems to be the easiest thing to do. I don't have to worry about being brave and courageous and fighting this good fight that the Lord has me doing. I can just lay down and go worship like everybody else. I can go take drugs like everybody else. I can go drink. I can go fornicate. I can go commit adultery, what have you. Like everyone else is doing it. And they seem to be okay. But he didn't do that. He didn't go for his own, own uh, fleshly desires. And also the compromise uh, or being different with idolatry. There's a lot of people today will be like, oh, you, you go to church, you worship God. That's great. That's, that's cool. That's good for you. I do this. I think that's okay too. There's, no, there's an indifference in their attitude. They don't care if you worship God or not. They're good with that. They're going to go do their own thing. Just don't bother me with it. And everything will be okay. So these are all the things that Asa was having to deal with to, to bring this reform that he was trying to bring to the nation of Judah and try to get uh, God back into society. And society was trying to push him out. In verse 9, it goes on, it says, then he gathered all of Judah and Benjamin and those who dwelt with uh, them from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon. For they came over to him in great numbers from Israel when they saw that the Lord, his God, was with him. Well, some, of the, some of the ten tribes were starting to come over as well. Some of the defectors, I guess, from Jeroboam was coming over into Judah to be able to worship because they seen that the true and living God was with uh, Asa. So they gathered uh, together at Jerusalem in the third month, in the 15th year of the reign of Asa. And he offered to the Lord at that time 700 bulls, 7,000 sheep from the spoil they had, bought, they had brought. Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. So now... Judah is being built up. We have these defectors from Jeroboam starting to come in now, wanting to come and worship in Jerusalem, wanting to, to serve the true and living God. We see the sacrifices that are being made to God. We see that they are now going to want to make a covenant with God. And they wanted, they're wanting to de devote themselves to God. And he says they did it with all their heart and all their soul. So they entered this covenant with God. Their worship, their worship offering was accompanied by a commitment. And I think about worship here in the house of God. I think about the worship we may give Him in our quiet time. We can come here and sing a song, but if there's no commitment to what we're worshiping, stop. You got, you got to worship with all your heart and all your soul. You got to worship to, to God who you're committed to. Because if you come here and just give lip service or you do it at your house and it's just lip service, it's not worship of anything. That worship is meaningless. We have to come with the attitude of worship and an attitude of commitment to God when we come in to the house and to worship him. And they were doing that. They were, they were making this commitment. They were making this covenant with God with all their heart and with all their soul. It goes on to verse 13. This one's pretty heavy. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death, whether small or great, whether men or women. Then they took an oath uh, before the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting and trumpets and ram's horns, 
And all of Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul. And he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. Seek God or die. That's what he, they're saying. You either seek God or you die. And let's, let's really look at that. And we laugh, you say it, and it sounds funny. But ultimately, if you're not seeking God, the other alternative will be death. Eternally. So now, this may have been physically what they did to those who were not seeking God. They went out, you're not going to seek God, okay, you're going to die. But let's think about it eternally and spiritually. For those who are not wanting to seek God and do their own things and follow idolatry, death is the option, the only option they have. But if you're seeking God, you have life. And that's what we're looking at here with Asa. You want life, you're going to seek God. And all of Judah rejoiced about, rejoiced about the oath that they made to God. The oath they made was a serious oath, because if you didn't make that oath and you didn't follow God, death was the other option. But this covenant was a covenant of joy. It was a covenant to rejoice and get excited about. And we should rejoice and get excited about our covenant and our commitment to God. Many Christians just walk around like Eeyore. They, don't, they, they just feel sad. Woe is me, I'm a Christian, oh, I'm suffering for God. That's to be something we should be joyful about, that we're able to share in this suffering. We should be joyful to be able to worship the living God, the one who created the universe. It should be a commitment and a covenant that we are proud and excited to be part of. Many, many Christians, for some reason, aren't too excited about that. And it says, he, and then he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. When you worship God and you make that commitment, there is a rest you have. Nothing else matters. Not material things. No kind of worldly issues really matter if you're truly serving God. Now, do we want to do well in life? Do we want to take care of our families? Yes, absolutely. But the, the wanting to gain worldly possessions, the wanting to gain worldly uh, prestige is not number one on our list. We know God will take care of his believers. He said he'll never leave you or forsake you. He's going to take care of us. And that should bring his joy and excitement in our hearts. And then, not only was this going to happen for Asa, but it was going to happen for the entire nation. Because it tells us, right, they sought him together, having gathered together in Jerusalem. So we have the nation of Judah and, and these tribes gathering together in Jerusalem. And we gather together here in the church. We gather together to be able to seek him and to worship him for who he is as believers. Whether we're here inside the house of God or in our own homes with our families, we're gathering together. They sought him through sacrifice. All those rams and bulls they were sacrificing. Trusting in God's promises of an anointed, uh, anointment through the blood of an innocent victim. And who's that innocent victim for us? Christ. As we seek him through Christ, through the blood of Christ, we're seeking God. We can boldly go through the throne. We can boldly go before God and lay our burdens out. They sought him through a covenant made with a view to God's working with his people in the past. It talks about that their fathers 
Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, all these, all these people that they've seen, uh, seen their faith and seen what God had done for them. Like Asa just, just destroyed the Ethiopian army of a million. If that doesn't put your faith strong in God, I don't know what it is if you're gonna, you're gonna, God's going to deliver you from a million-man army. And Asa has this to look at now. He sought, they sought him completely because they said that they, they sought him with all their heart and with all their soul. They weren't leaving nothing on the table. We're going to seek you and go after you with everything. They sought him uh, in an accountability way, promising a punishment upon themselves if they were to forsake him. What was that punishment we talked about? Death. And if people don't seek the Lord, that is what they, comes afterwards, is death. They sought him publicly. They were not ashamed of the gospel. They were not ashamed of God. They were not ashamed of the, the person who has delivered them from these other nations. And we should not be ashamed either. Whether in our workplace, whether at home, with family members, we need to be unashamed. They sought him with joyful. They, would, they sought him joyfully. As I said, they rejoiced in making this commitment with him. That's awesome. To be able to rejoice in our God. To be able to know we have a God that has our back and is watching after our best interests and watching after us as we go through life. That is amazing. Verse 16, it says, Also he removed Ma'akah, the mother of Asa, which was actually his grandmother, the king from, uh, from being queen mother, because she had made an obscene image of Asherah, and Asa cut down her obscene image, then crushed, the, crushed and buried it by the brook Hidron. So even his family members were worshiping these idols. His own grandmother here, he took down the image that she was worshiping and set that straight and set that right. How many of us have to deal with family members that are idolatrous, even though they don't think they are, but we know that they are, or follow certain religions that are, that are kind of out of whack and not, not, not true to what the Bible speaks about Jesus and about how salvation is, is obtained. And we have to deal with that day in and day out being a light in those dark places to our family members and to our friends. And we have to be courageous in doing that. Because it, it can get scary having to deal with family members. Because you don't want to step on toes. You don't want to lose family members. And you may. Once they find out who you are and who you worship, you may actually lose those family members. We see Asa was not afraid to go against his own grandmother and, and set that, that issue straight. Verse 17, it says, But the high places were not removed from Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was loyal all, the day, all his days. He also brought into the house of God the things that his father had dedicated and that he himself dedicated, silver and gold and utensils. And there was no war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. Now we're going to get into chapter 16. And in the world, words of Paul Harvey. And now the rest of the story. We're going to move on and see how he turned from being this great king 
that sought God, had faith, seen great things happen by God, and now we're going to see a total 180 turn as he's about to end. So in verse 1 of chapter 16, it says, In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Baasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. So here we see Baasha, king of Israel, setting up a blockade, not letting anyone come in to worship in Jerusalem. Remember, he said that he, he did not want the people of the northern kingdom to come to Jerusalem and worship because if they did that, they may end up staying there. So we see Baasha carrying on that as he's ruling now, setting up this blockade, not letting anyone in or out. And now we're going to look at some of the downfall of Asa and how he's tried to take matters into his own hands instead of reverting back to history and seeing what God had done for him and done for the nation under his reign. He's now going to want to take things into his own hands. In verse 2 it says, Then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasurers of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me as there was between my father and your father. See, I have sent you silver and gold. Come break your treaty with Baasha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad hated King Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of uh, Israel. They attacked Ajan, Dan, Abel, Maim, and all the stored cities of Nephetali. Now it happened when Baasha heard it, that he stopped building Ramah and ceased his work. The king, uh, then King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones, the timber of Ramah, which Baasha had used for building. And with them, he built uh, Geba and Mizpah. So instead of trusting God against Baasha, he decided to pay off the Syrian king take care of that issue. God would have no doubt if he would have turned to God, delivered him from, from this. This would have been small change in comparison to that million man army for God to take care of. But yet Asa decided to go out on his own and try and take care of the situation. And whenever we try and do that in life, it never turns out quite the way we want it, does it? Never turns out right. That's why no matter how big or small of issues we have in life, we need to turn that over to God, no matter what it is, and not try to take it upon ourselves to do it. And here we see Asa slowly losing his trust in God and getting himself into further trouble. Verse 7, it says, And at that time Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria, and have not relied on the Lord your God. Therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Where the Ethiopians and, Labim, not a, uh, and the Labim, not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen, yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. So Asa, you didn't win that battle. 
God did. So we see this, this prophet here reminding Asa who delivered you. It wasn't you, it was God. And it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have war. So he had all these years of no war, all these years of peace. Now he wants to do things on his own. War is going to come. He doesn't want to turn towards the Lord, to the Lord. Violence is going to come. And we see this prophet here, and then I pointed him back to the history of this, this battle that was won by God and Asa still not wanting to follow him. And it says that God searches to and fro throughout the earth to see whose heart is set on Who, Whose heart is set on mine that I can use? And when he came to Asa, his, his heart wasn't set on the Lord anymore. His heart was set on his own selfish ways. In verse 10, it says, Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison, for he was enraged at him because of, his, because of this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. He didn't like what the seer said to him. How many times we probably have our, our pride builds up when someone tells us the truth about ourselves and we just don't want to hear it? I know when my wife tells me the truth about myself, I don't want to hear it. But I'm not putting her into prison. Like Asa did. That would be wrong. But Asa was, it was upset. He threw this prophet into prison. He also persecuted others that was probably had their heart in the right place, had their heart for the Lord. And he didn't want to hear it from them either and persecuted them as well. And that's what people do when, they're, when they get hurt and they get full of pride and they know they're in the wrong, but they won't admit it. And they just hold on to it. And they start hurting other people. And we see Asa doing this because he would not turn back to the Lord. In verse 11, it says, Note that the acts of Asa, first and last, are indeed written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And in the 39, uh, 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his foot. And his uh, malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physician. So Asa rested with his fathers. He died in the, uh, in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in his own tomb, which he had made for himself in the city of David. And they laid him in the bed, which was filled with spice and various ingredients, prepared in a mixture of ointments. They made a very great burning for him. So here we have a king who started off great, serving God, making changes in the nation, making changes within his own family, making these changes, and he was all out for God, on fire. He learned who God was, his faith came to him, and he was on fire. Even on his, but now, even on his deathbed, he doesn't even want to turn to the Lord who can heal him. He goes see a doctor first. Now, I'm not saying don't go, don't go see a doctor. Go see a doctor. God ordained doctors to do some great things. But we should always turn to God first, regardless. Always put our faith in God for that. But we see Asa, who started off very good, 
And he, he, you know, Asa's acts from the first to the last were written in this, the books of the king of Judah and Israel. Our acts are written in our king's book. He has them all written down. He knows the days of, days of our lives. And the question you might want to ask is, is the life I'm living now in my walk just as on fire as it was when I first got saved? Asa's life was on fire when he first, first reigned. He wanted to make tons of changes. He was out at the end. I know when I was first saved, I tore through my Bible. I couldn't get enough of it. I couldn't put it down. That page had fallen out that thing. But life happens. Things go on. And sometimes we struggle. But we got to always remember where we got our light from. That's back to Christ. That's back to, to God and our commitment to him. Jesus said to the church in Ephesus, Revelations 2.5, it says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do your first work. Go back to where your first love was. Go back to when you were on fire for God. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Be God. Do what we did when we first believed. God said we have to have a childlike faith has to be like that throughout life. And if Asa would have just swallowed his pride at the end and repented, God may have prospered him even more, maybe even prospered the nation even more, may have healed his foot, and he could have reigned maybe even longer. So my prayer is that we repent of whatever is hindering us from seeking God, whatever is, is, is putting a strain on our relationship with him, and do the things that we first did. And the Lord won't put out our lamps like he did Asa. He had to remove Asa because he was no longer following. and had to remove that lamp from that kingdom. I pray the Lord doesn't remove our lamps. He keeps it shining. Amen? All right. Father, we uh, thank you for this word tonight. I ask, Lord, that you would just shine the light on our hearts, Lord, and just reveal to us, Lord, anything that could be keeping us from fully seeking you and doing what we did when we first found you, Lord, when we were on fire for you, Father, and our hearts burned, Lord, and, and, and that light shined, Lord, in this dark world. I just ask, Lord, that you would help each and every one of us with our walk because you know exactly where we are with you. You know the deep down secrets that we have, Father God, that, that need to be brought to light and, and, and need to be asked for forgiveness, Lord, that we need to repent from, Father. And we just ask that you would work in our hearts, Lord, and that we would be receptive to that. Thank you for this word tonight, Lord. And as we continue to seek you, Lord, we ask that you would bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.